three less things up here. Well, um, turn on the microphone. I see the hands. Okay. All right. So, um, <laughs> all right. Um, so it is, it is, uh, Independence Day weekend, and I hope you have a great time celebrating that tomorrow or even today if you're jumping the gun. But, um, in the spirit of Independence Day, I wanted to share with you a meme that I came across, uh, uh, this past week. It's, it's this meme, and I know the words are small there. It says, become ungovernable. And you can see there it is a bird sitting on a sign that says, no birds. So, um, and, and I thought that's an interesting phrase, become ungovernable. And so, you know, what do you do today when you see something, you know, that plucks your interest? You Google it to see, uh, what's, what's behind that. It turns out that this is a whole set of memes. There's a whole series of memes. You can Google it yourself. Um, here's one. It says, become ungovernable. And it's a beaver chewing on a sign that says, no feeding. And then, uh, my favorite was this. It's a dog holding a sign that says, no dogs, please. So, I think that the, uh, the patriots who threw the tea into uh, 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 Boston Harbor would smile at those memes. Um, they might have uh, more complicated reactions when it came to writing constitutions and so forth, but but I think they would at least uh, smile at the joke. And and we can we can smile when we're thinking about the country and we're thinking about you know dogs with uh, with signs in their mouth. But but the problem sometimes is that it's our own sign, and we're the dog that we put up the sign because there's something we want to do. And we we want to behave a particular way. We want to have a certain type of life, and yet we find that we don't do it, that we are ourselves ungovernable, even for the things where we want to be governed, where we've decided this is something I want to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because as I mentioned earlier, um, in a lot of ways, uh, Christians aren't really any different than... uh, Non-Christians, that, that if you look at a lot of different statistics, if you look at, um, if you look at divorce or charitable giving or civic engagement in terms of voting or a registration to vote or going to community meetings, if you, if you, uh, look at, um, uh, uh personal debt, uh, there's a lot of different ways where Christians are within a few percent of, of what non-Christians do, that, that our lives are really no different from the people around us. And so, so the question that we, as we consider this, as we, as we ask the question, you know, what if it's our own sign? What if, what if we cannot, um, do any better in living our own lives than the people around us? Um, that, that we are to this, you know, to the same degree that they are, their lives are governable, so are ours, at least taken as a group. And, and so that's the conversation we're going to have today. Now, if, um, if you're not a believer, if you're not a church person, if you're watching online or if you're just not sure, you know, somebody brought you here today and you're not sure what you think about Christianity, that's okay. This message is not for you. And in fact, you may, you may enjoy it. You know, it may give you a reason. That's why I don't want to be a Christian because you guys aren't any different, but you have to go to church and stuff like that. So, so, um, so uh, I encourage you to, to sit and, and listen through this because, because if nothing else, you, um, will get, uh, some, some information you can use to make fun of your Christian friends. So, so, um, but it is a message that is aimed at us, and it comes to us uh, from us, us who who call ourselves Christians, who try to to put into practice what Jesus teaches, and it comes to us from a, a document that was written in the first century, um, about fifty five A.D. It was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, we call him, and he was a leader in the early church, and it, it it's called the Book of Romans. It's actually a letter Paul wrote it to a church, and let's see if anyone remembers from last week. Where is that church located? 
Rome. Rome. All right. So, all right, we got some real scholars here. So, so uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and in it, um, Paul says this. He says, um, "I know that the law is spiritual, but I'm made of flesh and blood, and sold as a slave to sin." Now, you know, the question for that is, is um, what, what does he mean by slave? Because if you were here last week, or you know, if you weren't, you can catch up online. Um, but Paul said we've been set free from sin. That, that's been the, the the course of his trajectory through Romans. He started by saying we've been set right with God, not because of the way we behave, or not even because of our pedigree, but because of what Jesus has done. And he says the way that Jesus set us free, um, the way Jesus set us right with God, also had the side effect of setting us free from sin. And yet here he is in chapter 7, he's saying, yeah, but I'm sold as a slave to sin. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he goes on in verse 15 and he says, um, he says, reconnect. Um, No, that's not what he says. So in 15 he says, I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. So he's saying, he's saying, you may not technically be a slave. You know, in the Roman world, slavery was legal. Forty percent of the of the population was slavery was enslaved in different places. He's not saying you're you're legally a slave, but he's saying, you know what? If you do things you don't want to do, if you do things you disagree with, that's kind of like being a slave. So he's saying, you know, you figure it out. You know, do the math. Are you a slave? Now, you know, maybe nobody else can can you know put you in chains or anything, but you're kind of already in chains. So he says, I don't do what I want to do. So in that sense, he says, I'm sold as a slave to sin. And so he says, that's that's the, the problem. So, so in chapter 6, he said, we're set free. And in chapter 7, he says, yeah, but we're still kind of slaves. We're slaves to sin. And because that is such a, uh, uh, a troublesome idea, a lot of people, a lot of interpreters have said, well, Paul must be referring to to the time before he started to follow Jesus, that that once Jesus set him free, he didn't have any problems anymore. That that um, that he's referring back to his his earlier life when he was still a sinner. So some people have interpreted it that way, but that's not the way most Christians have interpreted it down through the years. Um, you know, no less a, 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 a Christian than Saint Augustine said, "No, no, he's talking about his life as a Christian." Um, the the reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin uh, said, no, he's talking about what it's like now. And in fact, even in uh, the last century, the Presbyterian Church uh, issued a, a confession called the Confession of 1967, and it said, the new life does not release a man from conflict with unbelief, pride, lust, and fear. He still has to struggle with disheartening difficulties and problems. So um, most Christians down through the centuries have said, yeah, I wish it was that easy. I wish that that you know when Christ set us free from sin that we acted like we were free from sin so what is Paul getting at here and that's what he's going to talk about in the rest of this passage so um and I think what if I could summarize what Paul's going to say he's going to say pay attention to that tension right you're acting like a slave you're doing the things that you don't want to do right so there's a part of you that says I want to do this and there's a part of you that says yeah but I'm helpless to do it I can't I can't not do the other thing. And he says, that tension, that's, that's something you need to pay attention to. So he says, he says, if I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do, I'm agreeing the law is right. That, that's, 
you know, I don't have any problem. You know, I really want to be that particular way. But he says, but now I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it's sin that lives in me. So sin that lives in me. So what does he mean by that? <clears throat> he means that, that Christ has set us free from sin and uh, um, that, that, that sin no longer has any authority over us. But that doesn't mean sin went away. Sin is still there. Sin, and, and he locates sin. He says sin is still living inside you. So um, the, the first thing that Paul really says as we try to understand what he's saying in this passage, he says sin has no authority over us, but it's not gone. Sin is still around. And that's, that's where our problem starts. So he goes on in verse 18, he says, I know that, I know that, um, good doesn't live in me, that is in my body. The desire to do good is inside of me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. But, if I do the very thing that I don't want to do, then I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it is sin that lives in me that is doing it. So, what is he saying here? He's he's saying that that tension, the tension between the, the part of him that wants to do good and the part of him that is helpless reveals the fact that sin is still at work. Now, um, what Paul is not doing, Paul's not shifting blame, um, he understands that wrong is wrong. You know, if you if you have an affair, then you are betraying your partner. If you rob a bank, you are you you know both parts of you will go to jail. So so Paul understands that. He's saying good intentions aren't enough. That that ultimately it's what you do that matters. And you can say, well, you know, I I want to do the good, but couldn't do it. Oh well. Um, no, Paul, Paul would not say that. He would say uh, good intentions are not enough. Uh, and you, we might say indwelling sin is an insight. It's not an excuse. You know, this is not, you know, the devil made me do it, and so, you know, nothing can be done about it. He says, no, this insight that that, that you have this conflict going on inside you is helpful, um, but it's not an excuse for doing the things that we do. So, so. He's about to explain something, and I need to give you a content warning, okay? He's going to use a metaphor. This is Paul's metaphor, not mine, and it's kind of gruesome, okay? Now, if you remember here, if you, so, you know, be advised. So, if you were here last week, you remember we talked about um, the metaphor for Paul, that we've been freed from sin, because Paul was a first century Jew, the, 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 governing metaphor of his life would have been the Exodus, that that God freed the people of God from their slavery in Egypt. So he would have he would have thought of being freed from, from sin as being uh, uh, led out of Egypt, or last week we called it Sin City, because because you want to leave behind the things that are you know characteristic of of Egypt. You want to leave behind the sin when you when you come out of Egypt, when you come out of Sin City you know, what happened in Sin City should should have stayed in Sin City. So we talked about it in terms of a location. And where Paul's going to come from in, in the next passages, he's going to say, and the problem is the location of Sin City is the entire world, the entire creation. It wasn't made that way. God made the world good. That God looked at what he had done and he declared that it was very good. And that includes the people that he made. 
that God made the world good, but something has gone wrong. The world has become polluted. Sin has entered the world and polluted it. It's like lead in the drinking water. It's it's um, it's 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 uh, corrupted us in the same way. If you break your leg and it's not set properly, then you know the the bones won't join properly together, and you'll have a limp. He says that that the 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 world, all of creation and and people, have been kind of bent by sin. That that. Like having, you know, that sin is, sin is this pollution. So, so where, where is sin city? Sin is the entire world and sin is us. So that's, that's his understanding of, of, you know, where is Egypt? You know, it's, we're not talking about the real Egypt that has a physical location. He's talking about where is sin city? Where, where does sin actually reside? And so now he tells us what he means. He says, do you remember back in chapter 6 how Jesus freed you? The method that Jesus used to free us was by uniting us with him in his death and his resurrection. That we have union with Christ in his death. And so we are dead to sin and alive for God. So he says, but here's the problem. So I find that as a rule... When I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. See, evil didn't go away, and neither did that dead body. That I have died in Christ, and I have a new birth, but the old me is lying there on the floor. And sin didn't leave it. Sin is still there. He says, I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but I see a different law at work in my body. It wages a war against the law of my mind, and it takes me prisoner with the law of sin that is in my body. This is a gruesome metaphor. Paul envisions that that dead body still here and sin living in it. And the reason for that is Paul wants to expose sin. You know, Watch watch TV today. What is sin? Sin is enticing. Sin is wicked. Sin is alluring. Right? It's like the name of a perfume or something. Sin says no. Sin is disgusting. Sin is revolting. Sin is betrayal. Sin is deception. Sin is cowardice. It's arrogance. Sin is is weakness. He says, sin is the reason your marriage failed. Sin is the reason they stole the money and ruined the relationship. Sin is why your parents were the way they were. Sin is why you gave up on that ambition. Sin is disgusting. So, of course, Paul says, I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead person? And because the answer is such good news, he can't resist giving us a peek. He says, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's he's looking ahead to chapter 8 because he can't wait. 
for one more verse where he sums himself up. So he says, in summary, so then I'm a slave to God's law in my mind, but I'm a slave to sin's law in my body. But he tipped his hand. He told us what he's going to talk about in chapter 6. He's going to talk about how we get rid of that body of death, how we deal with it. So, what do we do with this? Well, the first thing we do is we come back next week because it's such good news that Paul couldn't resist kind of giving us a sneak peek there. So the first, the first, the first application is just come back next week. Um, and if you can't come back next week, then read chapter eight, um, as soon as you can because that is where the good news really lies. But, but there's something else we can do. We can, we can appreciate that we don't know how miserable someone else is. That we can see what they do. We can see the way they behave. But we don't know how miserable they are. We don't know what kind of dead corpse they have inside them. We don't know what kind of weight they're carrying. So we can have understanding. Maybe maybe the circumstances of our life are such that we can actually help them in some way. But even if we can't, even if we've got our own corpse we're carrying around, Maybe we can at least understand them and have some appreciation. I don't understand what they're dealing with. So we can be understanding. We can realize we don't know how miserable someone is. But there's another thought. Because some of you may be saying, yeah, that's not me. I'm sorry. I don't have that kind of problem. You know, you know, there's some areas where I kind of don't behave as well as I'd like, but I'm basically a pretty good Christian and I don't, you know, I, that whole metaphor, Paul, you're just, you're just too dramatic. It's not that bad that no, I'm not there. Well, maybe so, you know, maybe you just kind of sail from victory to victory that you, you have no, no appreciable amount of sin in your life. Maybe so. I, I wish, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I live in victory. But that's not my experience. And I would, I would ask you, are you really a better Christian than the Apostle Paul? Are you holier than St. Augustine and Luther and Calvin? Because maybe what you're doing is setting the bar too low. Are your victories too frequent or too easy? C.S. Lewis says in his, in his book, um, Mere Christianity, he talks about this and he says, no one knows, no one knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. After all, you find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. This is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They've lived this sheltered life by always giving in. We never know the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. So what do we do? Well, maybe we should risk a little more. Maybe we should say, look, every time I've tried to deal with that, it's been a failure. It's been a colossal belly flop, and I feel like an idiot. Paul is telling us, well, why don't you try again? Why don't you try again? Because... The only way you can guarantee failure is by giving into it. And who knows? This might be the time. Maybe, maybe you'll have some success. Maybe you will have a victory this time. But you certainly won't have a victory if you give in.
I think this is the reason why Christians are so indistinguishable from non-Christians in our culture, because because we give in. We we say, you know what? There's really nothing I can do about that. I'm just kind of that way. I've always failed in the past. God may be calling us as individuals and as the community of faith to risk a little more, to to say, okay, you know, this is on God. If I if I have a belly flop, that's okay. I've been set right with God. Jesus has already taken care of that. I can fail knowing that I'm okay with my Savior. And I can try, I can try and maybe fail to live just a little bit differently. Last week we talked about the way that this is a hard thing to remember because because the failures are so in your face. It's hard to remember. And so Jesus gave us um, a sacrament called baptism to remember what he has done, a, a tangible sign of what he has done spiritually in uniting us to him. And he gave us another sign. He gave us another sign to help us remember that he is here with us, that, that he is aware of our struggles and he is available to us in our time of need. So I invite you to join us at the table of the Lord's Supper to receive the gift that he offers us there.